As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Buffalo Beat. My name is Joe Biscaglia. Thanks for joining me here on the post-game edition of the Bills' most recent game. This one, a loss to the Jets by the score of 20-17. to 17. It was one that, uh, you know, I, I think kind of caught some people by surprise. Certainly, the, uh, the Jets proved to be a lot tougher of an opponent for what the Bills were trying to do than... Maybe what the film indicated in terms of how uh, how well or how capably the Bills might be able to stop the Jets, but you know the Jets did a uh, a great job of capturing this win and creating a lot of questions about what uh, what we saw unfold in this game and certainly what's to come moving forward. So there's a lot of thoughts, a lot of things rolling around the brain as we as we start to break down exactly what happened in this game, but uh by and large we're going to go through a lot of it because uh this this game kind of felt like a little bit different than uh than the one that the Bills lost to Miami uh, early on in the season. Um and that's I think where I'll start with things because you know we can get into what we saw on offense, what we saw on defense, and really get in the weeds. But bigger picture, I think what made people feel at least okay about what happened to the Bills down in Miami was you could find a number of different things that uh, that went wrong in that game in terms of out of the Bills' control. You know, the heat was a big factor uh, throughout the end of that game, and a lot of the injuries that racked up throughout the game. That was certainly something that is not necessarily an excuse, but one that I think is able to maybe, I don't know, explain some things about how it didn't go the way that the Bills wanted it to. But it also was a sign of like, okay, well, the Bills just didn't execute. They had the opportunities. Those plays were there waiting to be made. They just didn't execute. That one felt more like the Bills lost it than the Dolphins won it. 
But this one feels completely different based on what we saw because the Jets fired up a game plan that was great. It um, really took into account some things that have worked against the Bills over the last two seasons. And the Bills really didn't have an answer. And we saw how much that the that the offense struggled in general. We saw how much that the um, the defense couldn't get sideline to sideline the way that they they wanted to. But that was all by design. And the Jets flat out were the better team in this game. I don't really think that a lot of what was holding the Bills back was you know, their own self-inflicted errors. I think really it was, well, some of them were, but I think the Jets were just the better team in, in that game. And that's an oversimplification because I don't know that the Bills were necessarily prepared to deal with what they needed to deal with, even though they have seen the things that the Jets brought to them a lot more than anything. It's uh, It's a bit... Funny is the wrong word, but it's somewhat amusing that this loss to the Jets just so happened to be the same week of the the season, week nine, in which the Bills lost to the Jaguars down in Jacksonville, one of the uh, core-shaking losses of, of last season. And not only was it the same week, but... It was also one day shy of the one year anniversary of it because last year was on November 7th. This year, this game was on November 6th. Little bit of different stakes because the Jets, obviously, you know, they've got six wins. They're now six and three on the season. And the Jags were, you know, going through some stuff <laughs> at that point in the season. Urban Meyer was still their head coach. But regardless, it caught the Bills by surprise because the Bills were coming into this game, you know, really looking good for the most part. And the second half against the Packers provided some warning signs and warning signs that they did not heed to, you know, where they didn't have their best down the stretch of the game and they kind of allowed the Packers to to stay in it. But those errors that kind of compounded in the second half, they never really accounted for those. And there was never really... uh, I don't know, maybe they needed to lose a game like this one in order for them to really feel the brunt of what the Packers were doing to them down the stretch. So there were a couple of different things that stood out from from what the Jets were doing. And and I was very impressed by how they kind of hodgepodged a, a couple of game plans together. You know, we mentioned that Jaguars game, how the Jaguars defended the Bills last season to limit them to the degree that they did to limit the Bills' passing offense was kind of the key to that midseason lull that we saw from the Bills last season where they dropped, uh, let's see, I think they went three and five over their um, over an eight-game stretch there, and they just couldn't really find uh, find the, uh, the right mix of what they were trying to do, and they were constantly trying to battle through this uh, too high shell cover two in, in which uh, the Jaguars stayed a majority of time in, and that wound up becoming, you know, a thing that they had to overcome. 
And the Jets, they didn't do it immediately. But once the Bills had some success early on against man defense, the Jets pivoted and went into this cover two look for a lot of the game. And that was part of the part of the reason that the Bills became unglued a little bit offensively. And they they uh, combined that with what the Packers were doing on, on offense. And we'll get more into that later, but it was just this amalgam of, of game plans that they put together. And it was very smart, very well done by, uh, by the Jets staff. And now the Bills have to prove that they can beat these things. But I started to get into the offense, so let's just let's just dive right into that because this is not a new thing for the Bills. They have seen the way that the 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 Jets defended them before, and they've had to overcome it. But it didn't hold them from being a bit neutralized throughout the game where they just could not find an answer. And a lot of it has to do with some of the, um, some of the individual performances, you know, Josh Allen was off. There's no doubt there. I mean, outside of his, the first play in which it looked like sauce Gardner kind of fell on in his coverage of Stefan Diggs that went, wound up going for 42 yards. After that, Josh Allen's yards per attempt for the rest of the game was, let's see, let me go back to my notes, 4.9. And if you're wondering how poor that is compared to what he and the Bills have been accustomed to this season, in the first seven games of the season, the Bills and Josh Allen had a a yards per attempt average of 8.3 yards. I mean, that is a legitimate, huge difference of of how the the Bills are operating offensively. And even down the stretch of the game, when the Jets were really hammering that that cover two a lot more than in in the early stages, Josh Allen was, um, and the Bills offense only had 53 yards total in the second half for a yards per play average of 2.2. So clearly what the Jets were doing was affecting them. And Allen just could not get himself going in this game. You know, there were some bits and pieces to it, but again, it was a bit reminiscent of what he was earlier in his career and having to rely on his physical attributes in running the ball, scrambling and and making stuff happen rather than beating the opponent with with his mind. And that is a bit not alarming, but it's something that he is going to have to workshop moving forward because you know, with the success that the Jets had in that second half, how they defended him is not going away. And we're not even talking about the potential injury that he suffered because, you know, we still don't have the information on that. It didn't look great, but he also heaved it a long way on fourth down. 
So I guess to be determined what is happening with that. I'll probably, rather than think about what could be in this episode, I'd rather just kind of let that play out and figure out, you know, in the coming week, once we get a little bit more information about the injury, if it's going to harm him or, or withhold him from playing in the upcoming game, then, you know, we'll, we'll start to get into that a bit more, but I just think it's a little bit too premature at the moment. He said after the game that, you know, he, there was some slight pain, but he said, we'll get through it. Whether that's, whether that means he'll play in the coming week, we don't know. But regardless of whenever he suits up, he and the offense is going to have to overcome this same demon from 2021 that forced them to try and to, to reinvent themselves offensively and to kind of take their season back last year. Because following that that Chiefs game last year, it's it's something I've discussed before, where they allowed this eight game stretch just to get away from them, and it was just kind of up and down playing. It wasn't until that second half at, against Tampa Bay where it finally seemed to kind of click into them, and it's not just Josh Allen because he can't by himself pull the team in direction. It's there are so many different pieces to what is ailing the Bills at the moment. I mean, you look at the protection up front. Going up against a really good defensive line, mind you. Quinton Williams is a beast. Um Franklin Myers is excellent. Lawson is has played really well this season. They've got Bryce Huff who uh, is coming into a bigger role after really showing some good pass rushing juice uh, throughout the first eight games of their season. And then, you know, they've got Sheldon Rankins and a bunch of other pieces to their defensive line that really makes it the strength of their defense. So they did a nice job, and, and they're talented. Even still... You want a bit more from what the Bills are having up front. And one of the the big issues that we talked about, the offensive line depth, that came into play, especially on the play where Josh Allen got hurt or supposedly got hurt. He didn't exactly confirm that was the play he got hurt, but, I mean, he grabbed his arm after that. <laughs> so I think it's pretty safe to assume. But David Quesenberry, who was in there for Spencer Brown, who could not play at right tackle due to an ankle injury, Quesenberry allowed an instant pressure to Bryce Huff and Huff turned the corner and was able to perfectly time Allen's throw with hitting his arm and it bent backwards a little bit and forced a fumble and the Bills lost 19 yards and forced a fourth down and a long way to go. So that's part of the issue. And maybe Allen doesn't feel comfortable behind pieces of the offensive line because it just... Has it's felt a little scattered the last couple of weeks, and especially in the in this game, where it feels like Allen almost believes he has to rely on 
his legs to get things going. And then you look at the receiver play. Stefan Diggs had another strong outing, and there's no doubt that he is super important. And I think a lot of people are coming down on Gabe Davis pretty hard because he had, what, two catches for, I think, 33 yards? Yeah, two catches for 33 yards, five targets. Uh, had the one play on fourth down where it seemed like he could have caught the ball but didn't with Sauce Gartner right there with him uh, deep down the field on fourth down. I'm not as, I guess, I'm struggling to find the word, but I'm I'm not as put off by Davis's performance because I think he provides a really strong value to what they're trying to do. I mean, the amount of attention that he can take off of Stefan Diggs on, on those certain plays where Diggs is getting loose, that's super important to the offense. And without a, a competent to good second receiver, you're just you're not going to have the same impact from, from your star. And then Davis plays a role in in blocking. Um, he's by far their best blocker, a high snap count guy. Like I said, these boom and bust games is just kind of what Davis and that second receiver role is in this Bills offense. It's kind of always been that way with Josh Allen, but, you know, I understand the frustration because you know, the the non-impacting games from a statistical perspective are, you know, somewhat, somewhat substantial. I think my biggest problem with the receiver core in general, and it is something that I've brought up before, but yet again, another game has gone by where the third receiver spot is just Nothing to it. And the difference between what Gabe Davis provides and the value he provides is that his presence can help deal with the safeties over the top. That third receiver role is usually lined up in the slot. And they're usually working underneath. And it's not taking up those those safeties deep down the field as much because they're... A, they're not really pushing it, pushing those receivers down the field. And B, you know, it's not really much to worry about because the inconsistent production just hasn't been there, or really the production in general hasn't been there. And that all falls on Isaiah McKenzie, who in this game had two catches for 12 yards. It brings his four-game total to, let me go and get the exact total. I had it in my, uh, I had it in my notes. Um, Nine catches for 50 yards over four games for Isaiah McKenzie. And why this is notable, because even in the last, even last week, when uh, the Bills, last couple of weeks, Bills had both Khalil Shakir and Isaiah McKenzie Kind of closer in snaps. But in this game, 
they went away from the rookie, Khalil Shakir. They must have saw something in the Packers game that they didn't like because Khalil Shakir only took five snaps when Isaiah McKenzie wasn't on the field. And McKenzie wound up with 40 snaps in this game. So that's basically, and I think, let's see, the uh, quick math, McKenzie, or Shakir had five additional snaps. McKenzie wound up with 40 total snaps. So that means a 30 to 5 split when those guys weren't on the field at the same time. So that is a dominant snap share by Isaiah McKenzie. And he had just continues to do nothing with it. When you have man coverage more often as they did early in the game, I, I focused my attention on him quite a few times and the separation just isn't there. When he's working against zone, especially against the too high look, that slot receiver can help alleviate some of the pressure of trying to push the ball down the field by finding the soft spots in the zone, sitting in them and being able to bring the passing offense out of it a little bit, especially if the running game isn't going like it was, but we'll get there. It's just, there have been, this is now six out of seven games where McKenzie has failed to get over 37 yards. The more information that we get on the season is just showing that that third spot in the receiver room past the top two guys is really becoming a legitimate liability to the point where I think they need to be aggressive in going after Odell Beckham Jr. And I don't say that lightly because, you know, I get it. It's the, he is the buzzy name out there. You know, there's there was a report that he's going to be cleared this week. And so it's going to only raise the attention. But this is a, this is a big year for this franchise. And that is a solution to an immediate problem. And it's not as though like he's just going to come in and be the superstar Odell Beckham Jr. from his Giants days. I don't think anyone is expecting that. But what he is going to be able to give when he's healthy enough to contribute will be a lot more than what Isaiah McKenzie has given the Bills so far. It will be a lot more than what they believe Khalil Shakir can can contribute in his rookie season. So I think they need to be aggressive in going after him. But we talked about that a bit on, on the previous episode, so I won't get into that all that much. But one of the crying needs of the second half, and it's another reason why Sean McDermott has dipped back into the, the pool of calling the offense one-dimensional at times is because they abandoned the ground game with their running backs 
basically the entire second half. They ran the ball four times. I believe it went for seven yards total on those four carries. But McDermott, it's like a a song, you know, a repeating song that just happens again and again after after a little while. Uh, this stuff, when they are up against a defense like the one the Jets sculpted in that second half, that too high, cover too look, you need to have, or at least McDermott believes, you need to have a semblance of a running game to get those safeties to come up. And I, I feel like the Bills in general feel that way, but they get away from it. And McDermott in his post-game press conference used the term, you know, we got a little too one-dimensional at times. And that, I'm sure he he is talking with Ken Dorsey outside of a press conference, but using that language and putting the onus on the offensive coordinator to um, refrain from, from being one-dimensional, That is going to be a thing moving forward. We know how the Bills got out of it with struggling against the cover two looks um, last year. And it was with a more than competent ground game getting going. I would tend to think that McDermott hammers that point home this week. as the, And Dorsey was a part of the staff, so he knows it, but... There's going to be some soul searching this week to finally make it a a bigger piece to the puzzle for McDermott, because if they, if they don't, then they're going to risk going through these, this mid season malaise that, that we saw last year. And they don't want that, especially with a good Vikings team that is probably not as good as their record indicates but they're still 7-1. and one. They're finding ways to win close games. And then on top of that, they've got a good rushing team in the Browns that will probably follow suit of what has prevented the Bills from, from doing well. They just they need, to, they need to figure things out before this two-game home stretch that they have coming up here. Otherwise, they risk everything. That's why this year we're going to see, and that's why this loss feels different to the to the point I made early on in the show. We, we're going to get to see whether or not this team can bring themselves out of it. And if they can do it in a shorter time span than what we saw last year, it's going to test them. We're going to see what the 2022 roster is really made of. And if they are different, in fact, different than what they were last year. So I'm very intrigued to see how this offense responds. And certainly the health of Josh Allen is going to play a big role in that, but it will be, uh, as long as he is healthy, how they attack the Vikings next week, And 
specifically attack that style of defense, that's going to be something to watch in a in a big way. Not just something to keep an eye on. That's going to be like one of the preeminent things, features of that game. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. But it's not just the uh, the offense that, of course, has to kind of figure stuff out here because the defense really struggled down the stretch as well. The when you look at what has made this team so great this season, it's because both sides of the ball have been borderline elite for what they were doing. Last week, the Bills were unable to limit what the Packers were doing on the ground. And of course, of course, the Jets are going to see that and try and mimic it. I mean, not only did the Packers have success doing it, and so they're they're going to continue to try getting east-west and, and forcing the, uh, the Bills to get sideline to sideline and you know, put some pressure on the the linebackers to get there, the defensive ends to, you know, try and rush upfield to make the runner go more wide, uh, more pressure on the cornerbacks to get off blocks and make a tackle, and more pressure on the safeties to weave through traffic and and get to the ball carrier. Like those are, that's the way it's designed to to test the Bills' defense, and they were unable to do much with it last week. So you damn sure that the Jets were going to try it. And Von Miller even said as much, like first running play. Exactly. They knew it from from the jump that the Jets were going to try and test them in the same way. And I mean, you don't have to look too far as to why they would do it. I mean, success is one thing, but the Jets offensive coordinator is named Mike LaFleur, who is the younger brother of Packers head coach Matt LaFleur, who both uh, gentlemen cut their teeth in the NFL going through the same offensive system and probably share similar offensive principles. And considering that they're in in opposite conferences and that the Packers already played the Jets this season, I would be quite shocked if Mike LaFleur, the the Jets offense coordinator, did not 
at least reach out to his older brother just to just just for a brief convo, a sharing of principles. We hear about players sharing stuff with uh, with their buddies across the league um, for future opponents all the time. And, you know, I think it's only natural for coaches or gosh, anybody, if you have that close of a connection to somebody. I mean, why not? So the Bills knew they were going to see that. But a, a few things were, at least one thing, one major thing was standing in their way. And that was the absence of Matt Milano, which goes to show that it wasn't, it's not just as easy as drafting a linebacker, throwing him in there, and expecting everything to be the same. Like Terrell Bernard is, you know, probably has potential to start down the line, but is he there yet? No. He's not. And there is a there is a legitimate drop off because Milano is able to cover up so many different things with his instincts, uh, his play recognition, his closing speed, how well he's able to weave through traffic. Like these are all things that he has crafted over time. And Bernard isn't there yet. And so when the Jets are putting pressure on the edges and more so putting pressure on Bernard and the corners and the safeties to get where they need to be. You've got a rookie outside linebacker. You've got two inexperienced starting safeties. And then you have two cornerbacks who aren't exactly the best at getting off blocks. Three, if you count Benford. But that's a that's a lot to overcome to the point where you need those younger players to kind of come of age and quickly. So when the Jets were in their game-winning drive, they didn't even pretend to throw the ball. Um, that was not their priority. And they were getting chunk plays and really forcing the issue. And not having Milano, and by the way, Jordan Poirier being out also hurt what the what the Bills were trying to do um, with their run defense. But I think Milano was the bigger absence just because he is usually the guy that covers up all of that stuff. Not always, but if he's on and able to at least force a a runner to get wide rather than cutting up field or making the tackle in general by himself, then that's when this defense is humming and that's when the the east-west runs are just not as effective. You know, fortunately, if you're a Bills fan out there, which I'm assuming you are since you're listening to this, Milano was able to get on the practice field on Friday which is a good momentum builder. They probably held him out just because it's a long season and they're thinking about the big picture. So it's at least a step in the right direction to where he could be ready for this coming game against the Vikings. And that would be a big one because, you know, Dalvin cook has long been a great runner in the NFL. And then obviously uh, they've got Alexander Madison behind him and, and he certainly 
excellent when he gets his opportunities too. But Milano was missed, Poyer was missed, and the issue was compounded by the fact that uh, Greg Rousseau got injured early in the game. And Greg Rousseau is one of their best run-defending defensive ends with how he's able to use his body, use his length, kind of wall off the side, especially for those, those long plays or those wide plays. His edge contain is excellent. And losing him when they did in the second quarter put a, a big um, point of emphasis on Shaq Lawson needing to play more snaps, A.J. Epinesa, even Boogie Basham had to mix in more. But Rousseau has become such an important part to this defense, not only because of how well he's been playing, but the fact that the the gap between him and their third defensive end is pretty wide as compared to where it was early in the season. Shaq Lawson, who started the year as their fifth defensive end and a healthy scratch, is now basically playing as the third defensive end, their top rotational guy. Which means A.J. Abanessa and Boogie Basham have drifted from where they were earlier in the season. You always go by actions. And the action of when their defensive end room was fully healthy early in the game, Shaq Lawson had 11 snaps compared to a combined seven between Epinesa and Basham uh, up until Russo's injury. Once Russo went out of the game, Lawson and Epinesa pretty much had a an equal amount of snaps just because they, they had to get by at that point. But that's how much the gap has widened because of Russo's ability and how well he's done and maybe how those other guys have not really lived up to what maybe we thought they were going to be in the summer. So a lot of things facing this defense and they're going to see more of <laughs> just like the uh, what we talked about with the offense and seeing a lot more cover two. We're about to see a lot more of uh, what um, what the, the Packers did and, and what the Jets did because those principles are, are going to be used until they prove that they can stop them. But, you know, it's, it's not necessarily the worst thing in the world because the Bills have gone through this basically every season where they have a few games in a row where they just can't stop the run or they really struggle to do so. I do think that they have the pieces to be able to do it consistently. Uh, this is something that is perplexing them at the moment. And it will be a big challenge for McDermott and defensive coordinator Leslie Frazier to Combine forces to finally, uh, well, not finally, but to pull this defense out of it because they're they're much better than what they appeared to be against a subpar offensive line and 
a running back room without their star runner in Brees Hall. So a lot of questions that need to be answered, but I think I tend to think that the Bills will eventually come out of it, but man, they have two really difficult opponents to do that against in the next two weeks with the Vikings and then with the Browns who have a good offensive line and one of the best pure running backs in the league in Nick Chubb and an all-out emphasis on rushing the ball with Cleveland. So we'll put a pin in that until they're able to do it. But yeah, this, this game in general just... It's not like the end of the world sort of sort of thing. It's you, you have to big picture it because it's game eight of a 17 game season. And this was not going to go perfectly for the Bills throughout the entire year. It seemed like it. It seemed like even the way that it started going up 14 to three and, you know, the Jets having Zach Wilson, that was like a recipe for them to just dominate the rest of the game, force turnovers, everything else. But the Jets played a great game and they made some switches in the second half and they had a good, a good game plan with their rushing attack that started really early on. So kudos to the Jets because they they were really good in this game. But it's also not a, a freak out moment for the Bills. They're still six, six and two. They're still atop the... Uh, atop the AFC. And those are two things that are not going to change. I mean, I'm recording this as the second half of the Chiefs and Titans game is going on. I don't know who's going to win that game, but because the Bills beat both of these teams, they still own the tiebreaker. So it's not a crusher for the Bills by any means. But what it is, and, you know, I... I uh, stood and chatted with Deion Dawkins for a while after the game. And he's usually a glass half full kind of guy. But I also really appreciate his perspective on on stuff like this because he, um, I think he gets it. I think he gets the bigger picture of things. And so... One of the things I asked him flat out was once you get through like the first 24 hours or so, can this be a, a good thing for for them? And and he he cut me off right then and there and said, no, it, it already is because, you know, having to live in the uncomfortable and and assessing where you went wrong gives that. And let me find the exact quote, because. He, um, and he said, quote, and we're better being in a sticky situation when our backs are against the wall. And that has proven true over the years, but they have not gotten a lot of opportunities to play that way this season because they are the hunted rather than the hunters that they have been over the last several years. But it remains to be seen how they respond, how this offense responds, if they can become a a better rushing team without having to depend on Josh Allen to to get them through as a rusher. Can they 
get more out of the slot receiver role to help them alleviate some pressure off the deep passing attack. Can they solve the East-West rushing game that uh, the Packers and the Jets have successfully done against them? These are all questions that they that they have to answer, but this is going to be a, a pretty big week for them against a, against a good opponent, and we're going to see what they're made of. So this is one of those weeks to remember, but how they respond is even more important than maybe the game that, that uh, didn't go their way. Big picture, like three-point loss, and they've only had two losses and by a combined six points. So not like, it's not like the sky is falling or anything like that, but they're going to go through some bumps and that's, that's why how they come out of it. And their response to this is the most important piece to the puzzle. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events. We've got the spot. Our partner StubHub has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. All right, let's get into some awards, shall we? Because I've been meandering these, this entire time, and I think we should uh, get to the, get to the fun part of uh, of the day. Well, maybe not, because a lot of the awards are not fun. All right, let's go with the uh, Dre Archer Award for the player that did not show up at all in this game. I'm going to go with uh, Bill's fourth receiver, Khalil Shakir, the rookie, who I mentioned had only ten snaps by my count. Um, he, it was very clear that the Bills did not want to incorporate him in this game plan. Again, like we pointed out, uh, with the defensive ends, actions of snaps speak louder than anything they say in a press conference. And McKenzie getting 40 to Shakir's 10 is very notable. And five of Shakir's 10 came when McKenzie was on the field. So Shakir was not targeted. Um, obviously zero catches because of it. It's just kind of a bit player. So the way that maybe he's hitting a rookie wall a little bit and they're they're taking something off his plate, that just speaks even more to to what I was talking about with Odell Beckham Jr. and why it's so important to get another piece to the puzzle in there and help this passing offense. Because if you've got digs with Beckham and, and uh, Davis, that's a problem for teams. So, Dree Archer for the player that did not show up to Khalil Shakir. Next is the Vontae Davis Award for the uh, thing player or thing that did not show up in the second half. And I will go with the rushing attack. And yes... I know, kind of playing into what Sean McDermott said here, but I think it's relevant. Getting seven yards on four carries in the second half is not going to get the job done ever. But abandoning it a little bit 
and certainly not having the push that you needed to to try and thwart the Jets' defensive approach was a big reason as to why the Bills struggled so much in that second half to move the ball. 53 yards and 2.2 yards per play. Just horrendous, horrendous stuff down the stretch of that game. Three points total. Yeah, it was a bad half of football altogether, but especially on offense. So Vontae Davis Award to the running game. Next up is the Matt Barkley Award for the player or thing that caught you by surprise in a good way. I'll say James Cook's role, even with the presence of Naheem Hines. Now, there's a caveat here that Hines practiced two and a half days. And one of those days is like a glorified walkthrough on Fridays. Like he's going to need some time to get in there. And you could tell the way that he was talking. He he knew he was going to need some time. So he wound up with three snaps by my count, you know, and Allen targeted him once, but on a wheel route that was there, by the way, um, just didn't execute. Play didn't happen. But James Cook getting going early on, catching a pass, a couple of passes, uh, getting going as a runner. Like there's like, that was a, a pleasant surprise because I wasn't sure how they were going to handle it. Maybe that changes as Hines becomes more acclimated. But uh yeah, it was it was very clear that they wanted to still incorporate Cook a little bit in this game. I don't think there's gonna be any any motion towards making him more of a a component to the offense, but you know it is it is notable that they continue to to work him in. And I also think that the singletary snaps are are going to come down once uh, Hines gets fully acclimated. But yeah, this is a it was it was a good day for for James Cook up until you know they they went away from the run and the running backs completely in the second half. So I'll give that to James Cook's role. The uh, the Blaine Gabbert Award for Perseverance. And this one's a little abstract, but I'm going to give it to Sean McDermott for keeping the, uh, the one-dimensional line in his back pocket. Persevered through a lot of the, uh, the good times on offense and brought it back. You know, and he's not wrong. That's the thing. He's not wrong, but he always gets the point across. And when he wants to make a point publicly, he does. And it's very, you you have to listen for it because it's not immediately obvious. It's a lot more subtle than anything. But when he's not happy with play calling in general, he's going to, it's usually one reason because the Bills are a pass first, pass second, pass third type of team. It's usually because he wants the the offense to be more unpredictable, especially going up against cover two looks as much as they saw it. But Sean McDermott gets the Blaine Gabbert Award for Perseverance for uh, trotting out that line one more time. It's It's part of him. I get it. I respect it. I see what's going on. 
And then finally, the Gotta Watch the Tape Award. This has nothing to do with the teams. But gotta watch the tape to see what the hell happened to Skycam. <laughs> to have a almost 10-minute delay because Skycam malfunctioned and they had to basically perform surgery on the field. R.I.P. Skycam in the Bills-Jets game because, you know, <laughs> I've never seen a game be be caught up by that. And, yeah, it provided a lot of jokes. But how did it happen? When did it happen? What part of the field? Gotta watch the tape to see how the hell that, that happened and how close it came maybe to the action. Just a wild event that we couldn't, you know, maybe we would have discussed a little bit more if the game had gone differently, but yeah, RIP Bills, Jets, Skycam. We, uh, we barely knew you. So yeah, a lot to take away from the game, obviously, but uh, I think once you kind of dice up and see that it's the sky isn't falling, I mean, we'll have to see what happens with Josh Allen's elbow slash arm, but I still think there's workable traits from what we saw from the Bills. It's just them having to get back together and, you know, tipping your cap to the Jets for a, for a, a, a game well played. But uh, I do think this is a team that they can beat in the future. So we'll see. It's all on them to see what they, uh, what they do to try and uh, correct what, happened out there on the field uh, against the Jets at MetLife Stadium. A, a rare loss to the Jets, might I add. But it's a different Jets team. Certainly is. They uh, have a great defense, and they could contend for a wild card spot. I didn't believe it before today, but now I do. They, uh, they could make a game of it with a lot of teams out there. So, And the AFC kind of stinks, so they might just they might just get one. Never know. All right, so that's going to do it for me. Um, I am going to uh, hit the, uh, well, not hit the road, but got a flight to catch in a few hours here. So uh, going to call this one. And then once we get into the flow of the week, you know, maybe it's the Odell Beckham week. Who knows? Maybe he signed somewhere. We'll, uh, we'll be monitoring that as we're kind of going forward and, and uh, see if the Bills are in the race and if they land them. That'd be... Uh, Quite the story for the week. And then Tredavious White potentially making his debut this coming week. We'll, we'll be uh, getting into all of that as as the week goes on. So thank you all for listening to this uh, post-game episode of the uh, the Bills' loss to the Jets. My name is Joe Biscaglia, and uh, we will talk to you next for the pregame episode where they will take on the 7-1 Minnesota Vikings at home at Highmark Stadium. So we will talk to you later in the week. See you then.